Welcome to another episode of Sunday Strays, a house sitter's tales. The past week has been crazy busy, planning stuff, doing things, while mostly playing outdoors and not doing much writing. Clocked up over 100 kilometres on the bike in six days. Went splat on the rail trail and left some skin behind, but I'm getting better at falling over. Yes, falling and not getting hurt is definitely better. So today I'm going to reminisce about mishaps and weird things that happen on the road. Some mine, some other people's. Travellers like to help each other out, but last week I was happy to be unobserved during my inelegant departure from the saddle. I was distracted and at around the 30 or so kilometre mark went into a trance. Forgot I was riding a bike across a steel bridge. Then the railing curved inwards at the end and I just nicked it with the handlebar. If I had been present and not off with the fairies, I imagine I would have stayed upright and wobbled on down the track. Anyway, it was just a couple of grazes. Yesterday, I hopped on a ferry to French Island, departing from Phillip Island with the bike, the bike being less battle-scarred than me, then pedalled for a few hours. It was thirsty work, lots of cyclists, surprising number of people on foot, fairly hot and dusty. You can't drive to French Island. The locals all have cars. Seems they are parked at the jetty all day. There's a barge landing bay somewhere on the Melbourne side. Even though the island circuit is only 24 clicks, I managed to ride 36 kilometres. Then stripped off my shoes and socks for a splash in the ocean soon to be joined by more hot, sweaty cyclists. I have dubbed French Island in Victoria, Koala Nirvana. Many of the female koalas have birth control implants to ensure the population is sustainable. They are eating themselves out of a home. Shame the healthy koalas can't be transplanted to the mainland, but guessing that would put them at risk of disease. I took a great photo of a mum with an oversized joey on her back. One couple on foot said they spotted 24 koalas and they did not walk far from the general store. I came across a family on a sandy trail. They were spread out over 500 metres. Two little boys at the back, one pushing his bike. Then a bit further up the track, as I approached, Dad fell off his bike. The sand was slippery and I was keeping to the sides. Then I came across the mum. She was pushing her bike uphill. I paddled up the hill, starting to feel weary. A couple was standing under a tree, koala spotting. They pointed, I looked, skidded on the sand and went splat. He ran over to help. I said I'd just rest on my back for a minute. At least the surface was soft, even if it was hot. Then got back on the bike. Told them I was worried about the family now far behind me. I hammered it to the store and propped myself in the shade with a fizzy drink. There were cyclists everywhere. Didn't see many on my ride though. The young couple walked up as I was finishing my first cold drink. Still no sign of the family on bikes. It was a good hour before they meandered up the main track. An hour I thought about asking in the shop if someone could go down the track and check on them. Later in the day after my paddle, I was sitting in the shade marking time. 
before the ferry back to Phillip Island. A woman rolled up on a bike. She said someone had left on an earlier ferry and had misplaced her mobile phone. She thought it had been left on a picnic table. I was sitting at the only shady table and offered to ride up the jetty to see if the phone was in the shade shelter. There was no sign of it, which is a bit sad, and I hope she found it at the bottom of the bag. There were signs at the parking area and on the jetty telling the island residents to lock their cars. People come over for the day and steal stuff. I could say unbelievable, but yes, yeah, some people do that. Going back to mishaps, there have been a few. A memorable incident was when minding my doggy friend, the elderly border collie, over a couple of house sits, I'd taken her on out on excursions. If she's at home, she mostly sleeps. And as she's old and arthritic, prone to putting on weight. So on a nice weather day, I wrestled her into the car and drove to a quiet spot on the Brisbane River. Nice little park along the bank. So we went for a walk on the footpath, then down to the pebbles. A short way from the concrete boat ramp. Then it got interesting. I turned back towards the car park as the dog looked like she'd had a fill of walkies. A new shiny red ute lined up with the boat ramp, which sloped down to the water. No sign of a boat trailer, just a teenage lad and two girls in the ute. No matter he wasn't supposed to use a boat ramp as his personal driveway. The young man drove towards the water. The girls got out and stood off to the side. I'd stopped walking the dog and we watched from a safe distance. The wheels on the driver's side of the heavy vehicle slid off the concrete pad and into the mud. Of course, he revved the engine, slamming the utility into forward and reverse. The mud flew up and coated the shiny paintwork. It was no longer red. The front driver's side dipped precariously. Now the ute was stuck, but the poor lad just kept driving, sinking deeper, and the vehicle inched a little closer to the river with every rev. A council worker who had parked nearby wandered down to talk to him. He had a little runabout and told the young bloke he couldn't tow him out. The dog and I were not sure we wanted to get involved. But, you know, what was he going to do? Call the owner of the new ute, probably his dad, and say he bogged it? Worse, was about to drive it into the Brisbane River? I walked up to the council worker with the dog in tow. He explained he couldn't pull the ute out with the council's little car. The young man got out of the driver's seat. He looked like the proverbial rabbit in the headlights. The girls were still hovering off to the side. I said, let me get the dog safely in the car. I have a snatch strap in the boot. Had a chat to the dog, wrestled her back into the car, got the gear out of the boot and backed up. So my four-wheel drive was rear to rear with the ute. I did tell him, and so did the council worker, not to do anything but steer. With everything hooked up, the ute in neutral, or so I thought, I slowly drove forward up the ramp and to the right to centre the ute onto the concrete pad. I felt the rope slacken and thought, oh no. The council guy was yelling at him to stop. Then he hit the brakes and again, 
my car jerking on the strap. The driver got out, the council worker unhooked the vehicles and carefully rolled up my snatch strap, placing it back in the car boot. The entire time this was happening, the young driver didn't say a single word to me. I'd like to think he was embarrassed beyond speech, as the girls would surely spread the story around the local high school. I thanked the old dog for her patience. She was curled up on the back seat, unaware of the drama. But thinking back to that incident, it's not so much a travel story. And I could have left him to dial a friend or his dad. The thing is, I don't know where he was going. You can't drive across a river. I've managed to bog the SUV on occasion on my travels. Just silly things, really. Rookie errors. It can happen so easily. Like the time I drove a short way down a sandy track, then backed up and got stuck on a sandbank, in spite of a reversing camera. I now carry a fold-up spade, as the crew that stopped and helped to dig out some of the sand were prepared for everything. They'd been out in the bush for a week and were returning home. Now, I pretty well carry anything I need, but I'm yet to purchase a personal locator beacon, as these days I mostly house-sit though I do still wander off the road in search of new adventures. Funny, not funny story a few years back. I was driving around goat tracks looking for geocaches. It was soft dirt near the Murray River and probably contained a fair amount of salt. I got the SUV bogged in some mud not far from the nearest town. I made a few calls. Nobody wanted to help. Certainly not the motoring club in that particular state. Um, you went off the road. Deal with it. They gave me the number for a local vehicle recovery service. Fortunately, it was a Sunday and nobody answered the phone. My budget isn't up to a recovery call out. What to do next? I had a brain burp. I looked up local four-wheel drive clubs on Facebook, sent an admin a message. Do you know anyone nearby who would like to make a few bucks? He actually said he lived around 20 minutes away. The biggest issue was trying to explain exactly where I was. But sure enough, within half an hour, he was parked on the solid ground behind me. He also had gear, so hooked up and pulled me out. $20 exchanged hands and my grateful thanks. Then I followed his vehicle back to the main road. I drove straight to a car wash. The attendant said, you were here yesterday or the day before. Um, yes, I was, and got, then got myself bogged. He granted me a free car wash, a bearded fairy godmother. But possibly the silliest thing I've done is when I had the caravan and tried to dump it in a canal. I was in South Australia, having been over on the West Coast for months, on the way back towards a short house sit in the Adelaide Hills. I rolled into a lovely little caravan park and was told to back up to the canal. It appeared to be a level site and guessing I was tired, towing does that, but I'd only come from Stirling North a short drive that day. I was looking forward to a couple of days exploring after setting up. Now, I'm not muddled enough to actually remove the chains anchoring the caravan to the car, though I had loosened the tow ball, 
but I didn't chock the caravan. I would usually do all of that and break out the spirit level to check the lay of the land. But I didn't do any of that. Then I attached the jockey wheel and turned the handle. And yeah, I know better. By then, I was a seasoned caravaner. Anyway, the drawbar lifted from the car tow ball and the caravan rolled back, to my horror. Then it stopped. A combination of the emergency brake as the caravan met its limit, distance from the back of the car, and the blessed chains still attached to the car. I nearly had really good water views from my caravan. That's not the only time the caravan went for a wander all by itself. Usually, though, it was parked on solid ground. On that occasion, my precious cargo was within metres of water. I did discover later the canal was fairly shallow. Not sure that would have made me feel any better if I'd had to sleep in a waterbed. So, you see, when not falling off the bike or skidding down a hill, I have also tried to trash my assets. The headache and inconvenience that would cause would be far worse than skin knee. Yesterday, I received a fab review on the website from my two-month Sydney house sit. I always fret a bit waiting for a review to come through. Only two homeowners have beaten me to the keyboard. Mostly, my hosts wait till a review lands in the inbox. That jogs their memory. In the next episode, I'm going to talk more about the review process. I don't know how it works for people who house it informally, but as I'm using a commercial platform, the reviews follow a process and I don't always leave a review. It does depend on the experience. We definitely need to chat about that. And plans are shaping up nicely for the West Coast road trip. And now I've confirmed a couple of house sits have rerouted my lap of Australia to drive clockwise from Queensland. I've been tossing up with just driving the SUV over, towing, which I'm definitely over, especially on my own, or buying a small camper van. Now thinking that I'll wing it and just drive. That gives me the most flexibility. Thinking the newish e-bike won't be coming along for the ride. I bought it for a specific purpose, which turned out to be a short-sighted purchase. If I lived in one spot with a garage and cycling trails nearby, then maybe, but I can't justify carrying it around. I think it will get sold well before my winter road trip. I'm back to working on my book manuscript and the feedback workshop starts this week, which sent me into a tailspin. It's a huge opportunity and I have to make the most. Trawling through my words on paper, all 53,000 of them, I need to select around 7,500 in tranches of 1,500 words. And so it's back to work. But hey, there's no work without play. Last weekend, a friend was lost. She had suffered with a devastating illness. We'd said our goodbyes before I left Queensland and I was a recipient of a beautiful handmade gift. I admire her courage, a strong, feisty woman. She lived every day bravely and left enduring memories behind. It may seem to some that my current lifestyle is reckless, even a little crazy, 
But you know what? If we don't swerve off the familiar and grab the moment, we could lose everything. Health is not guaranteed, nor is the means to do what we wish. Nothing comes easy. It certainly hasn't for me. Take one step out of your comfort zone into the unknown. Breathe in the fear, then let it go. I used to think people who chose life, well, maybe they were selfish. Aren't we supposed to do what others want? Shouldn't we toe the line? Refrain from questioning our purpose? From feeling free? From choosing who to be? That's not what I think now. Once a moment, a day, an experience is gone, it is gone forever. Lost in the winds of time, and time is a limited commodity. Anyway, living a false life is exhausting. That's why I'm writing down my childhood memories, to kick the bad bits to the curb. So here's a quote for you. In the words of Oscar Wilde, live, don't merely exist. Get out there, people. Do what makes you happy. Be true to you. I'm down in the southern states and staying on a beautiful property with one gorgeous indoor cat. She's shy, introverted, more so than me. I bought her a toy, a ball made of coloured yarn. The other night it moved a little bit, roughly about a foot or half a metre. I think curiosity got the better of Miss Kitty. But best of all, after a restless night, I woke up this morning, still sleepy, and wandered into the living area to make a cup of tea. My foster kitty was sitting near the sliding doors. I've been here a week now, and although I know she roams the house at night and when I'm off the property, sniffs my outstretched hand, this is the first time she's felt comfortable enough to grace me with her presence in the wider realm of the house. I tread softly, my housemate did some exploring today, peering around corners. This is only a two-week house sit, so it's unlikely I'll get to know her, but you never know. I didn't go out yesterday. The day before on French Island was a big excursion, and possibly why I didn't sleep, mind spinning and all that. Kitty is in the bedroom opposite where I'm working. I put the ceiling fan on in her room. I hope that's okay with her. Strangely, for Gippsland, we haven't had rain, just a few drops last week, so it's back to watering gardens. This is a really easy house sit. The family is awesome, the property is low maintenance, and unless I was dreaming, Miss Kitty jumped on my bed a couple of nights ago, then vanished into the dark. I won't be able to do everything there is to do in Gippsland and the Basque Coast, in such a short house sit gig. But I intend to make a dent and squirrel away things I didn't get to do for a future visit. If you enjoyed listening to my ramblings this week, please hit the follow button. It will help you find future episodes. My content is released every two weeks on Thursday afternoons at 2pm in quick bites of roughly 20 minutes. Occasionally, there may be bonus content on a specific topic. You can listen to episodes in any order. These are my stories and experiences. So, 
If you're a fellow traveller, a virtual traveller, or merely curious about different lifestyles, again, thank you for listening. See you on Alternate Thursdays. The next episode will be released on 22 February. And happy trails wherever you may stray.